welcome to season three of the Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. I almost got logged out of my own Zoom account, so that's the first time that's happened. But uh, I'd like to introduce you to my guest. Her name is Erin Murray. Um, hopefully I, I said everything right there. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a long time coming. Uh, just some backstory. I often uh, consult with Kyle Dobbs for who I should mm -hmm. have on the show. He's someone that I respect a great deal and trust basically with my life. <laughs> so yep, absolutely. I feel the same way. <laughs> if, if he says somebody should be on my podcast, they're going to be on my podcast and it just takes a while to chase everybody down. But uh, um, you've often gotten shout outs for your knowledge on nutrition. So just to introduce you to my guest, a lot of my, or to my, to my audience, I should say, a lot of my audience will be unfamiliar with you. Who are you? What do you do? What are you all about? Good question. Um, so I'm a nutritionist. I have my master's of science in nutrition with a focus in research. So I definitely um, have that research part of my life. I'm also a research assistant. But then I also actually have my own private practice. Um, I also have my degree in dietetics and I'm actually in my clinical rotations right now. Um, so I'm not currently performing medical nutrition therapy or anything of that nature. So all the way up until this moment, um, my education has been research nutrition science and then coaching people nutritionally um, and health coaching and behavior change um, and then treatment itself will be coming once I have that RD designation because um, here in the U.S. we have to um, have that if we want to treat medically. Um, so that's coming and I love I love that educational part of my life. It feels really nice to keep one foot in that space all the time too so it'll be very weird when that's over um, when the clinicals are over but um, so I'm either in in a lab, I am writing or researching something, uh, or I'm with a client, or I also teach. I have a few different courses that I teach. Um, I teach other clinicians and coaches in my class, Nourish, um, which we're in the middle of turning into a certification now, which has been really fun. So I'm kind of doing all sorts of things at any given moment, but it's usually related to food somehow. <laughs> well, I mean, that's awesome. And just like to, to reiterate, like having the RD designation, like that is no small feat. That is like climbing Mount Everest. Um, <laughs> it's felt like it. <laughs> Like I, I've had some very highly qualified nutrition professionals and I've listened back to the episode and I thought like I really didn't uh, promote them as much as I could have like with how, how much effort it takes to uh, go through that whole process. Um, Dan Feldman was a recent guest who was on the show. He, he climbed Mount Everest to kind of get his credentials. Like um, just, just to point out the contrast that like for myself, I have precision nutrition. That's just like, to dipping one toe in the water um, for, for yourself with what you have like that. That is what is so amazing about having people on the show because I can expose my audience to a greater scope of knowledge 
um, just a, a better backbone as far as, as nutrition goes, which is what had me excited to have you on the show because uh, you're, you're kind of like a choo-choo train, just like trudging along despite no matter what obstacles <laughs> get in your way. Um, That's right. Thank you. So oftentimes I take people back a few years to kind of like get to know them a bit better. Uh, if you went mm -hmm. back to grade 10, grade 10, just a random That's guess, cool. where would that take you? What was life like then? Oh man, actually, this is kind of funny. Um, this is something I talk about a little bit in my little small community circles, because I try to talk to people about education um, in general, because I am someone who I was a little bit I guess the word feral comes to mind as a high school student. So grade 10, um, I was a little bit of like a punk rocker when I was in high school. I would just walk out of school in the middle of the day. Um, I was not a very good student. I actually, it was really odd. I loved school and I loved learning, but I hated school. So I would leave. And I remember teachers being like, hang in there, Aaron, please keep coming. Please come to class. And uh, just for a multitude of life reasons, I was not a teen who could, the word regulation really comes to mind. I couldn't regulate myself. Um, so there was a lot of things I loved or enjoyed and didn't do them. And I, I did MMA. So I would go do jujitsu and Muay Thai every day. And I would like leave school and go to BJJ and, and roll. So um, that was me in 10th grade. So I, I am so not the person I am now. So I talk about that a lot with people that I teach other coaches or clinicians. There might be that formal academic experience that's really intimidating them so a lot of the conversation that I have with them there is uh I've been there so I don't worry like let's work through this being scared of research or math or statistics or things like that I'm really passionate about trying to make science accessible because I know the feeling of feeling intimidated um, by really formal learning I've totally been there I was bottom of the barrel absolutely um so that was me in 10th grade <laughs> that's so cool that like it you actually had a lot to to talk about with regards to grade 10 because so often like I'll have a guest and I think it's important to kind of understand like where a person kind of comes from or like their origin story but then I'm like okay how can we get that in like 10 minutes and not like spend 40 <laughs> minutes like well it's like I, I try to listen to other people's shows and then I'm like, okay, um, they're, they're able to kind of encapsulate who that person is without telling the life story, but also while telling a bit of the life story to make the person more relatable. Yeah. And, um, something that kind of stands out to me is just kind of the fact that you, you highlight, uh, BJJ and you highlight the whole, like, walking on that fine line of like liking academia but not being able to really hone in on what aspect of it that you like I think there's a lot of people in the fitness industry especially people who are passionate about like continuing education that are like smart intelligent people but it took a while for them to find their their focus or to find their like the thing that really drew them towards wanting to learn more and doing what it takes to like sharpen sharpen the needle kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, so as you kind of got towards when you were going to be graduating high school, all that stuff, making the big choices, like what was that process? Like, like what was, what was your compass pointing you to do? What, 
how tell me more <laughs> yeah well uh, basically one thing that i uncovered was there was a couple things and one was that discipline itself felt very approachable and safe to me through mixed martial arts and kind of physical pursuits so i kind of found that using discipline was a reliable tool for me. So I, by the end of high school and I was starting to mature a little bit, I actually found it very comforting to develop kind of routines or try to get myself to do things, kind of really living on that um, train of small wins, so to speak. So I really kind of was living in that space and pulling that in a little bit to my academic life and actually realized I felt much better when I did so. Um, and then I also was, my, my, my biggest interests because I love school so much was I certainly loved the sciences, but I didn't have, and I think it's important to kind of for us all to think about, I didn't really have the intellectual confidence to study that formally at, at the next level. I definitely was really intimidated by it. And I, my other strength was actually writing. And I had a lot of, um, teachers in school saying, you know, Aaron, my, they would tell my parents, Aaron's a really good writer. We really hope she, you know, just hangs on to this because they knew I didn't like school or thrive in that environment. So there was a lot of trying to hang on to at least something that I knew I was pretty good at. Um, and I actually got asked to apply to this program to study at Oxford University in England um, and to study Oxford fantasists. And I loved that topic so much. I was totally a bookworm. Um, I would kind of blow through books all through high school. I kind of was a a major consumer. Um, I remember I had a book light and I'd be in bed, it would be 3am and I would just be turning through pages. So the writing felt at least approachable to me. So I said, what the heck? And I applied to the program at Oxford. And so I ended up studying there for my summer after high school. Uh, and then I went right into a writing degree thereafter. Um, so Oxford was kind of my little launch pad to study writing, publishing and literature formally. And that's actually what my undergraduate degree is in. That is cool. Like, I mean, you talked about the whole like reading with a reading light and I was like, yeah, like I used to do that. And it's just, it's, it's neat how certain little habits kind of unearth themselves and what we're capable of down the road yeah. sort of thing. And just to kind of expand on that a bit more. Like I think a lot of people kind of get in their own way when it comes to like uh, progressing their career sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, like oftentimes we're like, oh man, we can't do that because it's too tough or we can't do that because it's too scary. And being surrounded by the right people can kind of help with that, um, whether it be like the right teachers, um, supportive family or friends, or just mentors along the way. Um, mm -hmm. For yourself, who have been like uh, three key mentors or role models that kind of helped you in, in your early years or even just in the past couple of years? Ooh, good question. Um that's a really good question. I feel like something that I bet I really always wished w was to actually have a mentor. Um, I actually was just talking about this with someone the other day because I was saying I've, I've never really had one and gosh, it would have been nice to. So I would say what I did instead was pull inspiration from people. Um, as you mentioned there, like, did you have someone who at least inspired? Absolutely. I think that was a little bit more where I landed. Um, I always kind of was working for 
myself and then in school and then work. And I was always with people who did things differently than me, like everyone at the gym, no one at the gym was a writer, um, but they were amazing at their discipline and the way they trained or uh, the martial arts that they focused on. So I would kind of find people inspiring and, and pull pieces from them, I would say. And then in graduate school in that in this nutrition science setting, I definitely had professors who were totally inspiring to me. And then there, I found a little bit more mentorship. Um, and I think one of the coolest things for me that inspired me a lot was at that kind of the, that highest level of science, you see this brilliant person in front of the room lecturing, and they'll absolutely say to a question, I don't know, you know, we're not, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Let me look. And I remembered feeling like, so um, relieved that you, you actually don't have to know everything and a very good scientist doesn't pretend to. Um, and I found that uh, low ego, high learning environment really inspiring. So the voices and, and minds in that space, absolutely a handful of professors over the years were so inspiring to me in that regard. And it's something I, I really try to focus on because I saw how effective that was to get into higher and higher levels. Um, so I keep them in mind, absolutely. Definitely, and I think that that makes sense. It's something that can uh, probably help a lot of people because so many people are going to kind of look into the fitness, wellness, nutrition space and be like, oh, like if only I had a mentor, I'd, I'd get to where I want to be. But if you look at it mm -hmm. a different way and kind of like assess your past situations and environments, like mentorship can be found in like in a grassroots way in the sense that like, the part-time job a person had like scooping ice cream or maybe they worked retail at some point like there's going to be people in in these scenarios where some facet of what they do whether they like harped on you to show up on time and it stuck with you and then you were on time for all your clients mm -hmm. or like all these little yeah. things really add up um for yourself yeah. like what were your earlier odd jobs that had nothing to do with what you do today <sighs> Good question also. Oh my gosh, you're, you've got good questions today. Um, I have worked so much. You would laugh if you saw my full resume. I started my first business when I was 12. And I got this idea. I lived in this very bustling little neighborhood where there was a lot of families. And my friend and I were going into, so we were going into eighth grade. Yeah, I think that's the year this was. So it was the summer after seventh grade. So not legally able to work, but I would babysit all the time for moms around the neighborhood. And even if they were home, they'd say, you know, Erin, can you just come by for couple hours. I need to get some stuff done, whatever it was, I'll be home, but you just hang with the, the, the kids. And so then I got this idea, well, what if I had a little camp and everyone in the neighborhood paid me 25 bucks a day. And my friend and I made this camp and we made flyers and we went around, we advertised to everyone and we got this like litany of little kids. And I had a trampoline and a tree fort in my yard and she had other stuff. And we got all these kids together and we took them all day for a couple weeks. And I ended up making a couple thousand dollars and I bought all my back to school clothes, all my binders. I thought I was a big shot. So that was kind of my first big gig. Uh, and I was always babysitting. And then when I was 13, I was a um, bus person at a country club near me. So I used to clean tables, bussing tables, cleaning plates, washing plates. So kind of bussing and dishwashing. Um, and then all through high school, I worked in 
like ice cream shops in the summers, country clubs. My family owned a cafe. Then by the end of high school, I was the manager of a cafe. So I had actually employees and staffing and ordering and all that madness that goes along with food service. For those who have worked in food service, you know, it's absolutely nuts. And then through my undergrad, I still was working at the cafe, but I also learned a lot about media. Um, I was just, as the writer, I think it was that writing piece, learning about social media and blogging and Facebook was really interesting to me. So I actually had this little company and I had clients um, in the Boston area where I handled all their social media, their websites, uh, their Facebook pages, their Twitters, things like that. So I had a handful of clients and all through my undergrad and put myself through my undergrad with that. Um, And then I also ran this, I was one of the editors for a travel app. So they wrote travel articles and booked hotels. They were kind of an interface with a bunch of different hotels. So I was a writer and editor for that. And then I also worked for a magazine. I drove to Cape Cod one day a week and I um, wrote and uh, was the assistant editor at Cape Cod Life and Cape Cod Home, assistant editing at Cape Cod Home. So I was writing all the time um, and then just kept managing media and actually was still doing some of that as I went into grad school and then just kind of kept going from there. I also was a CrossFit coach. (laughs) And then I started having a behavior change clients. I had personal training clients. I taught uh, like bodyweight CrossFit classes in my barn every morning at 5am and a handful of women would come. Um, So kind of all over the place with the jobs. (laughs) Well, it's important to showcase that like lately, I've been really like hyping up the fact that if somebody's in the position to get like an out of industry job, It Mm -hmm. is to their benefit. Like they're going to have to put ego aside. It is to a person's benefit to find something that is completely out of the industry. Like I'll, I'll share an example, like for the last like two plus years, I've actually been a social media manager as well. And so I love it. It's like when you're talking about those, like that's perfect. That's a great (laughs) connecting piece because like it's helped me to kind of understand things through the lens of people who are not in the fitness echo chamber. And it's helped me Mm -hmm. to understand like where, like sometimes people think that their shit doesn't stink and they think Mm -hmm. that they can say anything that they want and that's going to go over smooth. But if anything teaches you that like you got to like watch your biases and like be open to feedback, it is having to be the voice of like, five to 10 different brands every day kind of thing and and being able to market to like completely different niches and then like flip that switch and then just go right back into fitness um i've just found that to be very helpful so i'm hoping that like because i have grown to assume that there are probably a few new trainers that listen to my podcast i'm not quite sure so if anybody's out there please message me but like if anybody's frustrated with their career and they're like, oh man, like I, I have to go find some supplemental income, that is not a bad thing. Like most people who have done those odd jobs or just like things that shape their character, shape their their habits, those are beneficial. That That is a thing that will help your career more than hinder your career. Um, totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and like your, your babysitter babysitter hustle was like next level like i mean like <laughs> to, to find a way to scale that out at that age i'm like genius like crap. it's so funny that we did that i look back and laugh about that all the time i think i was definitely drawn towards working 
for myself. And now I do that. Um, I think I really like kind of making my own rules. Maybe that's why I was a little bit of a disaster of a teenager, but um, <laughs> like the time constraints of 7am to 2pm at high school didn't seem to work for me. Maybe that was related. Um, but I totally agree doing different jobs, I think is really important. You really kind of expand your, your framework and even to look at media or communications for another field, you start realizing well, how do I communicate a message? Even if it's not a fitness or a food related message, messaging is actually something to think about. What do my words mean? Uh, and then we can bring that back into food and fitness and realize that we can assess and, and alter our language with a lot more skill and tact than just being fitness people who are kind of like blowing a whistle at everyone and telling them to do another push up. Um, it's really interesting to, to mix those skills. I totally agree with you there. Definitely. Um, now we're going to like jump into a totally different topic altogether. And this is just with regards sure. to just like resiliency through your career. I mean, like a lot of people have their ups and downs. They like many people in our industry struggle to like balance like work and play. Um, throughout your career, has there ever been a time when you just like were completely burnt out? And what was that time like? If you can kind of think of something. Oh, yeah, I would say I, I, I sadly probably need help with this. So I'm not the voice of reason on work life balance. Um, I have had a lot of burnout, but I used to joke with some of my friends in school, because the didactic program in dietetics and the masters are actually two different degrees, and I was working full time. And so we would be in the lab all night sometimes. There'd be literally like organs on the table. We'd be studying stuff, and we'd have some big lab practical. The next day, people would be crying in the lab, thinking, like, I don't know if I'm going to pass this tomorrow. And our joke in grad school was, I need to have a nervous breakdown, but I don't have time to have one. And we just felt that way all the time. And and I also the working full time um, for myself, this whole this whole past year was for myself. But prior to that was also for others. Um, I definitely have had a few moments where I thought even kind of it's rising in my body that I literally can't do this much work. I have truly literally run out of hours in the day. Um, and I've had moments where I'm a little bit more of a physical person. So I keep thinking I'm fine, but then something really happens in my body and I'm like, Oh, I'm really not that fine. Uh, so I would more so kind of feel it physically and then realize I have to learn to say no to something. Um, and I would say actually to be totally honest and transparent. It's really just this past spring that I had um, a, such full schedule that I made a wait list in my private practice. And I said, I literally can't get another body in my Zoom room um, in this week anymore. So my it was the first time I made a wait list. And um, I got asked to help um, teach some things or get brought in on some products where I had to say, thank you so much for thinking of me, but I'm not able to do so at this time. And I think for me that the measuring stick that pushed me um, over the edge into realizing I need to organize my time with actually some care because my work quality is going to start declining. And it was reaching that point where I realized there's some topics I really care about where I'm rushing or I'm real, I'm sleeping so poorly my, I'm not speaking as well during the day. Um, so when I see those symptoms crop up, I realized I'm really making an error here in how I'm handling my time. And um, 
not taking on any more clients, creating a wait list and things like that really saved me uh, towards the middle and end of the spring and uh, was much needed to get through some, some big research projects and things like that. And it was the first time I've ever done that. And it felt really good to do it, actually. So I do encourage people, if you're on the fence, it, it's time to, to do that sometimes. Definitely. I mean, like, that's something that hopefully people will kind of hear and apply to their own situation. Like, something that was helpful for me, I think it was like a year and a half ago, I was feeling just completely run down. And one mm -hmm. of my friends recommended the book, I think it's called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Mm -hmm. And it kind of taught me to really assess what was going on in my life. Because like a lot of people feel like they have to set their boundaries when they are just crazy busy because they're looking on social media and comparing themselves to somebody else. But the truth is like in order to it's kind of like you can't get good at one thing if you're doing five things at once. And so you kind of have to like set the parameters of what you're going to focus on or who you're going to focus on or like uh, how you're going to um, navigate keeping your body in check. Like you, you talked about how like your body was sending you signs that you were kind of burnt out rather like your mind was pushing, but your body was like, stop. Mm -hmm. um, I found like when I'm stressed, I usually, uh, I'm way more prone to injury. Like I'll, I won't do anything wrong in the gym, but like something will just shut down. All of a sudden I have knee pain and I, I'm not a person who has knee pain like ever. Right. And it's whenever I am stressed, my, my body tells me stuff. And then I realize like I need to do what it takes to get more sleep and like do what it takes to just like relax. And a lot of the time that means choosing like um, self-care over like a money-making opportunity but yeah. the flip of the switch is it positions us to be like a more valuable resource. Like we're more focused on our, on our people and we're developing better products or, or putting out better, whether it be like a content through video or content through writing. Like mm -hmm. hopefully people understand that like it is not a race to to see how many things you can gather. It's sort of like it's a long distance run to see mm -hmm. how much you can sustain a certain pace for kind of thing. Like Absolutely. So many, so many situations where there's like, if, if a person's looking to get more clients and there's all these opportunities to work at this studio, work at that studio, or like take on this, this new role, nobody can do it all. And no. I found that when people reflect on like their, their values, um, reflect on like their just, maybe assess their goals like what are their goals actually and um what is somebody else's goals that they're trying to like transpose like it's i might have a colleague that is doing all this cool stuff but it might not mean anything to me but it's like subconsciously i might try to do all that cool stuff just because they're doing all that cool stuff and like when people realize like nobody can do everything nobody can do like not everybody's going to have a podcast not everybody's going to be a published writer and so when we focus on what matters, that helps. Uh, I kind of went on a long tangent there, but I have a good segue for the next topic. Oh, no, I think what you shared is perfect. <laughs> I hope people listen closely to that. I totally agree with you. Well, thank you. Um, when it comes to values, and I usually use like the words like core values, just something, things that are like uh, they make or break situations. They're non-negotiable. Like what are your core values when you kind of think of that and reflect on that? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say something that would kind of keep me up at night in a very negative way would be if I thought I could have tried harder 
on something. So if I, if I skimp on something, I kind of feel it to my core. Um, so I do that. That's another kind of good reason to be selective about what we prioritize and what we actually put work into, because it's not good to half-ass something. You really want to whole-ass something if you're going to do something. So if you're going to do it, you've really got to do it all the way. And that's the only way I can work. So I absolutely have to completely get in there and get really involved and push myself. Um, so it's actually also my learning style. I realized I get almost agitated if something isn't fully making sense to me. I really need I really need to see that whole pathway, so to speak. If there's something where, you know, well, how'd that molecule get from here to here? I'm not getting what's in between. I find that really agitating. I, I didn't realize it until I was halfway through grad school that that's why I whiteboard everything. This actually annoys me. Like I don't feel good until I kind of understand what I'm looking at. So I, I like that with my work. So only um, taking things on that I can get fully involved in. Um, and then another core value, I think I have, it kind of depends on the topic, but if, in, if it's in regard to clients, um, really making sure that I create an ecosystem for transformations and implementation and programming that actually works symbiotically with the human mind and human neurobiology and physiology um, and psychology. So always making sure that I'm creating an ecosystem that people can heal in because you can't, you typically can't heal in the ecosystem that made you sick in the first place. So with um, all of my coaching and, and all the wonderful souls that I work with, I'm always trying to make sure that we're doing something that can actually um, work with their, with their system. So I, I would say I have a core value. I have a bias too. And I, I'm honest about this within my class nourish with my students. My bias is always towards kind of natural systems. So it, it, whether if we're looking at agriculture, or our physiology or our neurobiology and the science of habit change or identity and things like that. I think we always, I think <laughs> that's one of my core values of my bias. I'm really biased towards natural systems and trying to work with those um, as fully as possible um, so that we're not really fighting nature. We're really working with it. So I would say those are two big core values for me doing the absolute best that I can or probably not doing it at all. And then um, trying to do that in a, in a natural systems setting. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, like even just in the, the podcast space, like I found as I'm like reaching out to guests, I can kind of tell what phase they're in based on, on responses. Like I, there's, a very wide range of people that I interview on this show. Like it can be anything from like business professionals to uh, just people with a cool story. Like I, I interviewed a man who traveled the world except for nine countries. He's not quite done, but it was all without flying. And wow. he has nothing to do with the fitness industry, but I figured <laughs> people could learn something from, from taking time out of your life to travel. But uh, just with regards to like a person's like uh, career aspirations, like when a person's focused on like their their new course or they're focused on their people, that means I'm going to get a no for, for some podcast appearances. So I just kind of keep them on the radar and I, I, I circle back and just to reiterate to people, like sometimes you're going to have to turn down opportunities to be able to focus on things. And it's not going to be the opportunity that you thought that it was going to be that you'd say no to. Like even, even myself, I've had to like 
turn down different opportunities where I'd make money or turn down opportunities where I'd have like a, a bigger platform just because I had already put my eggs in one basket. And if I was going to go the other direction, I'd have to take like three eggs out kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to put the most of myself towards that thing I had already worked so hard at doing. And yeah. if I just committed to doing that thing, then it would go that much further. Um, I want to talk a bit about your, your program. Like you you've mentioned nourish a few times. Um, so just kind of like, tell me, tell me how it came to be and what you're most proud of with, with what it offers to people. Yeah, it's actually a funny story. I have, I do some small groups in my practice that some people just kind of prefer that small group setting. It's very accessible and approachable. So I always have that option for clients. And I had a small group opening up last winter and a coach, uh, actually a wonderful dietitian, a professional sports dietitian, Gianna Masi, love you, Gianna. She messaged me and said, can I um, join the group and just watch how you handle a group? I'd love to look at that kind of from another professional. And I said, absolutely. And then another coach messaged me and oddly enough asked me the same thing. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, well, they want to learn how to handle groups. And then we kind of started talking and some more coaches messaged once I posted about coaches want to see how to handle clients. And I got inundated with messages about, I love nutrition and I try to coach nutritionally, but I feel like I don't have assessments, programming, client structure, outcomes. Like I, People just felt like, how do you do this really? So we did a complete pivot and we said, we're going to open up a course for coaches and we're going to show kind of a way to coach and you could do this with individuals or with a group and we're going to move through macronutrient units we're going to move through behavior change units and then i tacked on a ton of case studies and change talk and behavior change and motivational interviewing lectures we had special topics like the microbiome and the gut and inflammation and also some special topics like somatic regulation and dysregulation and ways to classify um, and kind of assess clients and then how to take them thereafter through coaching programs and um, it really just ended up being a blast. And we were together for months and so many wonderful coaches ended up being in the group. And then we created a Nourish Grads group and we keep meeting and there's a bunch of them in there. We have a second round of Nourish starting soon, um, probably next week, I actually think it's beginning. And so my Nourish Grads also have stayed in, they're redoing Nourish, plus we have the Grads group and we meet every month and we have Slack channels and we do kind of special topics, case studies, guest speakers, can come in and um, some of my grads are actually opening their own businesses at this time or going out on their own so next month for the grad meeting, I'm bringing in a business owner who did something similar and had a lot of success so it's really kind of this it, I, I feel very passionately about making science accessible and science in, in my, what I've seen thus far really is one of the more asymmetric fields in our culture where money or business or teaching or these different topics are a little bit more approachable. And science is this space where people go into their doctor's office and have no idea what their doctor is talking about. And then they leave and they're like, okay. And what I realized is a lot of coaches feel the same way. They're totally passionate about nutrition, health, and fitness, but they maybe didn't get to study it formally. They might not have the confidence to do so, or perhaps the resources and means. Some of us don't want to become $200,000 in debt. I totally get it. Some of us have paid the piper um, and we have, some haven't. So I, 
even for my clients, I really want them to know what we're talking about. I will take time with my clients to explain what LDL is, what glucose is, what insulin is, and how some of these things might work. So, so Nourish is really that, but kind of on steroids, really trying to bring high-level science to a, an accessible place where we can really talk about it. And I never want someone to feel stupid for asking a question. I think sometimes even in the continuing ed space, coaches feel like, I don't want to ask a question because I feel like I'm supposed to know that. So they don't even get clarity on these key foundational components of biochemistry or energy systems and metabolism. Or some people ask a question like, well, wait a minute, Aaron, what's the gut? What exactly constitutes the gut? What's in there? (laughs) Where does it begin? Where does it end? And that's a fair question. So really trying to bring high level science and even research reading units, because nutrition, as you know, is totally that space of diet versus diet versus diet, all this diet culture, macronutrient wars, and our clients are kind of in the crosshairs of that. So I'm trying to bring really holistic science as well into the wellness industry, because our the wellness industry has really failed when it comes to nutrition. It's a diet graveyard out there. So I'm when coaches coach well and know high level science and really know how to truly help people um, in an ethical way, they thrive and their practice thrives and they make money doing something they love. And they also really make the world a better place by not contributing to the diet graveyard where we have disordered eating, total physiologic dysregulation and failing health. Um, So something's really got to be done. (laughs) So then we kind of turned into this little group of Avengers that's trying to make this better somehow. And we just kind of keep working, working on that together. That's awesome. I mean, I like the analogy of the Avengers. Like I, I do some, some, some subcontracting for one of my friends and his business is called 18 fitness. So we literally call ourselves the Avengers. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but I like that, that outlook on the industry in the sense that like it put our ego aside, be willing to ask like literally any question, because if anybody's good at answering questions, it's people in the fitness industry like the the best way to learn and grow and like ascend in the industry is to just not assume that you're the smartest person in the room. Just like mm-hmm. surround yourself with talented, smart people and be able to see the strengths that each person has. Like some people who are like brand new might have done those other odd jobs that kind of help them to have like emotional intelligence with speaking to people. And some people have been in it for decades and they might save you from making like a huge horrendous mistake, like just not listening to what a client's actually trying to say. Like there's so many times I reflect on like interactions with people. I'm like, you know, I really could have said that differently. And if I just like stopped talking and just started listening, I might have had a better outcome that like a wise person could have could have shown me right away. Mm-hmm. Um I've always been curious with your Instagram handle, like where did that come from? Cause it's so, it's catchy. Um, and it kind of, it does kind of like describe what you sort of bring to, to your social media in some way, shape or form. Um, so tell me more. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's funny you say that. No one's ever asked me where that came from. It actually came from my clients. So my Instagram handle is Aaron's Uncommon Eats, for those who don't know. And then my food blog is The Uncommon Dish. Um, and the the word uncommon really came from my clients. It was actually during a workshop. I was teaching a workshop at this big facility. Um, so I actually really started lecturing years ago in facilities. It, it, it actually was funny. Side story. The first, for, if you're scared to teach, I really recommend teaching. It's one of the best ways to learn for starters, because you have to prepare a presentation and you've got to know your stuff. So you really will prepare. So if you ever want to like light a fire under your butt, make yourself book a teaching engagement. And um, this big gym asked me to come teach a kind of nutrition 101 to their clientele. And I said, sure, that sounds really fun. And it actually sold out. They just happened to have a super high engagement gym, really tight knit community. And everyone was like, yeah, I want to go to a nutrition workshop. Sure. So it sold out. We had like 60 plus people there. I think their people were sitting on the floor. Everyone, all these people were there. I had 114 slides. I laugh at myself now for doing that. We knew it was going to be about two to three hours. And I got there. They had told me they had a projector and I get there and they said, Oh, Oh, we forgot to tell you our projector broke. And so I just had my little laptop with 114 slides. And I looked behind me at that facility and there was this one little whiteboard and I said, okay, we're just going to do this without the slides. And I literally talked for three hours with me and a whiteboard. And every lecture thereafter has seemed easy because that one was like a dumpster fire a little bit. It ended up being a blast and we had a great time. But talk about just like really throwing yourself to the flames. So I do really recommend. I actually do that with my Nourish grads. I try to give them opportunities to present. I like to bring them into my small groups and give them teaching opportunities because it's really fun and a nice way to learn. But so I started talking long ago and I was doing another workshop at a different facility and some of my clients happened to be in the audience. Some one-on-one -on -one clients. And I was talking about how the norm in our culture is really to be unwell. And I view a lot of our kind of chronic overfeeding culture as a symptom of the same problem that produces diet culture. It's really this commercialization of food and a total disconnection between food, body, and all the regulatory mechanisms involved, food preparation, food, body, planet, all of that is so pulled apart and commercialized. And there's really just something between me and my plate. And then we're all kind of living in that awkward landscape and it produces problems like metabolic diseases and disordered eating. They feel like the same thing to me when you look at it in certain ways. So I was talking to people about if you really wanna be well, if you really wanna start building health, you have to actually divorce that and start rebelling a little bit. You gotta start being a little different. It's saying no to some stuff. It's saying yes to some stuff. It's releasing a lot of old beliefs. It's releasing the way we even might view and judge our bodies. It's releasing what we may have learned as children. And one of my clients said, you really need us to be uncommon. And I said, actually, yeah. I really need you to be uncommon if we're gonna get well. And I, I'm telling you also, when I say that word uncommon, I'm telling you that this is not going to be easy. You are in a setting that doesn't foster wellness. So I know that this is going to be hard, but I don't want you to be another data point that's suffering. So we're going to have to go over here and it's this whole other thing. So you're really going to be a little bit of a rebel. And then eating uncommon and being uncommon and 
thinking in uncommon terms all about our health and body became this little theme with all my community. And then so it just kind of kept blooming from there. That's awesome. And it kind of like, with how you describe your whole philosophy on nutrition, it, it sort of correlates with some things that I've observed over the over the time that I've followed you. Um, do you do a lot of gardening? Like it seems like you're you're producing a lot of your own food. Like uh, expand more on that if you if you would. Yeah, it's funny. My clients sometimes are like, "Hey, can I swing by?" I actually have like a huge garden. It's I think it's fifty by fifty feet. So we are producing food, um, kind of from June to October. Um, I've got all types of lettuces and herbs, carrots, corn, pumpkins, watermelons. You name it, I've got it. And I've got 40 chickens. Um, so we have all of our own eggs. Um, last year, we did a round of meat birds. And then my family also all hunts and fishes. So we've got fish, venison in the freezer, fresh eggs, and all of our veggies. Um, I really want to have a small farm one day. So I'm working on it. But right now, it's just a big old garden. <laughs> That's awesome. I think it's it's important to kind of showcase that. Like my my best uh nutrition has been when i've just basically eaten off my parents farm like oh that's awesome i grew mm -hmm. up as a country kid and in the time is when i haven't been as busy my parents have supported me by basically sponsoring all of my vegetables and we had beef cattle and we have chickens oh, wow. so i'm always having fresh eggs I'm very spoiled in that way um, it's awesome, right? They taste so different. <laughs> yeah, it's it's night and day. I think I saw in your story recently or somebody's story. I know that I've seen many people showcase the difference between store-bought eggs and mm -hmm. uh, like actually like farm-raised chickens like where either they have more more room to roam or they're just getting different nutrients themselves. Yeah. It's night totally. and day. Like it, it's almost like having two eggs instead of one egg as far as like nutrient density goes and like satiety mm -hmm. goes and it's it's just so cool mm -hmm. and so I, I like that philosophy with it all because it, it does simply makes life a bit more like it it makes you not have to think so hard like mm -hmm. whether it be that a person in in an urban area is just uh, making a habit of going to a farmer's market to kind of mm -hmm. imagine that they're on a farm or mm -hmm. whether a person happens to expand their network and, and they're able to uh, visit a local farm and, and buy that way. And it's, it's not that it needs to be all hippy-dippy, but it certainly um, simplifies finding your nutrients. It makes it so that you don't have to overthink, like, well, how am I going to supplement? Well, you may not need to mm -hmm. supplement if you're getting a lot of vegetables and a lot of just um, grassroots sources of, of nutrition. Absolutely. When, when you're thinking about goals and stuff, like you, you alluded to how you'd like to have a big farm, like how, how do you map that out in your mind? Because that, that's kind of relatable for me. I don't know if I'll always live in the city. I kind of like that whole like uh, balanced lifestyle, having lots of room to run around and stuff. Like how do you map that out for yourself? Because that's a pretty big, big goal for, for anybody kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely a, a little bit. Um, it, it's a lot to, to look at. Um, for me, I'd love to. So I'm in the New England area um, and we do have lots of old farms around here. So they're kind of there's actually a lot of land just sitting there, which is really interesting. Um, but I also am 
really, really passionate and interested in regenerative agriculture that can sequester carbon. And I think that this is a beautiful science that we're just kind of scratching the top of, so to speak. And there's wonderful scientists and farmers really pioneering that movement. And I think that even if it were to be on the small scale, um, there's some really beautiful operations in New England that are producing regeneratively farmed produce and protein. Um, so I look ahead knowing that I, I have this private practice that I'm so grateful for. Um, my fiance is actually opening a facility. He's a physical therapist. Um, his He has a new facility. I actually just got some new construction pictures of it today. Um, so there's uh, he's having a, his facility and this wonderful team they're opening soon. So I know I'll be here in New England, certainly not going anywhere. So I'll, because actually most of my clients are in um, other states because I'm on Zoom all the time now, most of my people don't even actually live near me now, which is really interesting. I can kind of go anywhere. So I don't mind if I'm a ways outside the city. Um, so I look at some of these older kind of abandoned or quiet farms or They've been in families for a really long time and no one's really using the land anymore. Um, so he and I look at old farms a lot and just kind of daydream about, you know, what could we really do with X amount of acres? How many cattle can you have per acre if you're going to do this regeneratively? So there's actually some pretty intense math and, and thought that has to go into a regenerative production. Um, but we noodle around with that a lot. And so I would definitely have to create a stepwise plan for doing so. Um, and so I hope one day to, to get to that moment. Definitely. I mean, it. I kind of put you on the spot there with like making you think about that. But I think it's important for people to be able to reflect on that if they don't have like a big, like worthy goal in mind. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to stay on track. Like with yeah. when a person's completing an academic program that takes the course of like four to sometimes 10 years, like depending on like what they are doing. Like I I have a lot of doctor friends and it just like, I am dumbfounded by how they're able to like stay the course for that long, despite everything mm. that's going to be happening in like their personal life and their social life and their health and their wellness. Like they're humans like anybody else, but if they mm. don't have that big goal in mind, it's really hard to, to stick to it. And that's kind of why like goal setting gets so much hype within like, the the whole wellness industry like everything that comes from it like lululemon puts on their their vision and goals thing all the time um mm -hmm. it, it's it's important and it's only going to work if it's something that's deeply meaningful to a person because mm -hmm. otherwise it's easy for us to give up on ourselves mm -hmm. totally and consistency just it wins so one one percent better every day one percent closer towards something um it's definitely a, it's a life is really a game of small action steps um so once you there's the that plan way off in the distance that's really about well what am i doing today that's working towards that moment so once something is mapped out you got to take those baby steps absolutely totally so people might be intrigued as to the program that you spoke about or anything that you're offering. Like let's say someone wanted to join in on like the nourish program, like how, what would be like the steps for them to, to get started on that? Aside from just following you on social media, what, what would you say that, that they should do if they want to get more involved or learn from you? 
Yeah, absolutely. They can follow me. They can DM me. Um, you also can visit erinmurraywellness.com. There's a nourish page there. There's nutrition applications if someone wants to work with me. So really, I just kind of take that first um, touch point with someone and then we go from there. So I email with people directly and we get them into whichever program they prefer or get them involved. Um, Nourish, the next round of Nourish is actually starting next week. Um, So if someone did want to hop in, I would absolutely welcome them. Um, We are starting. So (laughs) definitely message me quickly. I don't know if this will even be out by the time we start, which is totally fine. Um, But if someone was really interested, they can always email me, erin at erinmariewellness.com. I'm happy to chat point someone in the right direction, get them into a group, um, or get them resources for something they are interested in, even if it's not with me. Um, always happy to talk about this stuff. Definitely. And like, I mean, you're in luck because it's, while it's being live produced now, it'll be published in the next three hours. So I'm like that, uh, wow. <laughs> on that one podcast that actually releases same day. I have so many friends that they record one day and then they publish the next week. And it's tricky for like talking about th- things that are coming out. That's funny. So efficient. Wow. (laughs) You have to be able to get good at like doing the things that you're passionate about in order to improve on them because we only have so much time in the day. So like if I want my podcast to improve, I have to be able to do the same things better within that same amount of time. And Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what this journey has been all about. I love it. So then I have two questions that I ask each one of my guests. And the first one is a little cliche, but I've been running with it for almost three years. So can't, can't stop now. (laughs) Um, So the question is if you could give people one piece of advice on how to live their life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? The fullest and most authentic way. I would say you have to, at least start. So for me, for example, with learning, I just kind of kept pulling that thread and it eventually led me to nutrition science and the work that I do now. But I wouldn't have gotten there if I didn't start somewhere. Um, I think a lot of times we feel like we have to set kind of a perfect goal and know exactly what we want to achieve. And then we will start or we'll really start when we're ready to start. And I more so think that we actually should start like yesterday. And then as we go and really commit to this process, things kind of keep revealing themselves. So a lot of work is also exploratory and that's okay. I think people, it it can be useful to kind of give yourself that green light to work and figure it out, so to speak, as you go. I think that's really normal, even though we think that's not how things work. Um, There's no really such thing as a perfect plan. Um, So kind of just get started doing something that excites you and will get you out of bed. And that might not be what you're doing in 10 years from now. And I think that that's okay. That's important. I think there's a lot of different ways that a person can look at that, whether it be in like their personal aspirations or their career aspirations, like you're never going to be ready. Like you just got to start. Um, The second question, this one, you're going to give a challenge to my audience, something unique to you that you're passionate about that you think would genuinely improve their lives, whether it be today or a week from now or over the course of, of years. So if you were to give a challenge, what would it be? Mm. cook more at home definitely 
just interacting with your food, touching your food, selecting your food, eating at home, cooking at home, sharing it, eating, then taking it outside and sitting outside in the sunlight and eating your food. Um, I think that there's a lot of regulatory mechanisms that we've lost in this modern life where food suddenly arrives and we didn't see it coming and we didn't prepare it and all of a sudden it's in front of us. Um, there's actually a lot of interesting research on that topic. And I think interacting with food is a very important component of actually regulating the system. Um, so I really encourage people to find fun with their food. And many of us weren't raised in homes where we learned how to cook. Um, a lot of households don't eat a lot at home, but that doesn't have to be our identity. We can always shift that very gently um, and slowly over time and start having a relationship with this part of the world that's actually coming into our body and nourishing us. And that's actually a pretty big deal. And we do it multiple times a day. So connecting with that, I think goes a long, long way, even though that seems oddly simple. <laughs> well, it's it's game changer advice. Like there's been a few times when people who have really struggled with their nutrition have kind of asked for like a quick tip. And I've been like, honestly, like, take time to learn to cook some dishes that you can prepare at home with mostly whole foods if not all whole foods like with vegetables and you're cutting up the meat or if, if you aren't into meat you cut up more vegetables <laughs> like it's just mm -hmm. whatever fits that person's values um but just get used to actually preparing your stuff not like taking like a box and dumping it in or taking like something and microwaving it just like learn the art of of cooking mm -hmm. and that that'll get a lot of people a lot of momentum towards like having sustainable healthy habits kind of thing totally agree yeah and with all of that being said i'd like to thank you so much for joining the show thank you so much for having me it's been awesome you bet